2: Hello and welcome to the Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Van Leeuwen, and here's what's making news this week. We finally have a 2023 Supercars calendar. A 12-event schedule for next season has been unveiled by Supercars, starting in Newcastle in March and ending in Adelaide in late November. It did prompt some controversy too, with a sandown backflip to reclaim the mid-September date from the Speed Series. New Zealand, meanwhile, misses out for at least next year. More on all of that later in the pod. Supercars has confirmed that VisorCam will feature in the broadcast next year after signing a deal with Racing Force, which provides the teeny tiny cameras. The 2022 supercar season, meanwhile, will conclude with the return of the Adelaide 500 this weekend. While the supercar's title has been resolved, we will see the Super 2 title decided on the streets of the South Aussie capital. Declan Fraser hot leads the way, while Zach Best, Matt Payne, Cam Hill, and Tyler Everingham are still in contention, mathematically at least. GT World Challenge Australia will also be in action in Adelaide with Audi sending factory drivers Chris Mees and Kelvin van to help out Melbourne Performance Centre, who won't have its supercars regulars like Garth Tander and David Reynolds at its disposal. 888, meanwhile, has called on Nick Foster to partner Prince Jeffrey Ibrahim, given both Shane Van Gisbergen and Brock Feeney are unavailable. Uh, Prince Abu Bakar Ibrahim will join Jamie Winkup in the second T8 Mercedes again using a replacement car flown in from Asia after their AMG was crashed at Bathurst recently. S5000 has tweaked its push-to-pass system for Adelaide, with drivers having 90 seconds of full throttle available, available per race, rather than the six deployments alike on the Gold Coast. The Australian Grand Prix Corporation has announced that its grandstand capacity will be bolstered from 39,000 to 44,000 following record crowds at the 2022 event. Lewis Bates and Anthony McLaughlin are the 2022 Australian Rally Champions. They sealed the crown with a second place in the Coffs Coast Rally over the weekend after teammates Harry Bates and John McCarthy crashed out three stages from home. Lewis is the third Bates to add his name to the list of ARC champs, along with brother Harry and dad Neil. The Coffs Coast Rally win went to local pair Nathan Quinn and David Green and Mike Jones was crowned the Australian superbike champion at the bend over the weekend. He finished fifth in race one to secure the title before winning race two. The race one victory went to Troy Herfus while Jack Miller was a DNF in race one due to a chain issue before finishing fourth in race two. Joining me this week to discuss all that and more is a teammate that has unsurprisingly been linked to the Ferrari team principal role by Carrera della Sierra in Italy, Stefano Bartolomeo. Stefan, how is your Italian coming along?
1: G'day, Andrew. I think I might be ruled out of this one. They already had a oh, no. Stefano not long back, and he didn't get them a world title, so I don't like oh, my no. chances. <laughs> oh, no, I reckon no. they're in, a, in the market for a Jean or, or maybe an Enzo if they can find one.
2: Yes, I think they are names that might suit the role a little bit more. Anyway, let's kick things off with a chat about... This weekend's Adelaide 500. This is your proper home race, Stefan, which follows your adopted home race on the Gold Coast just a few weeks ago. So the Festival of Stefan continues. Uh, It's the first time we've raced in Adelaide since early 2020. Uh, It's the last time we will go racing with these Gen 2-spec Car of the Future supercars. It's the final time we'll see Holden's on the grid. And it's the last race for the legend, that is Lee Holdsworth, before he heads into a well-earned retirement from full-time racing. Stefan, as a man who has his finger more on the Adelaide Poles than myself, Uh, Are we going to see the city re-embrace the 500 this weekend, do you think?
1: Well, I certainly hope so. We're all wanting to see the Adelaide 500 back that we used to know and love, but we're going to have to wait and see if it can hit the ground running straight away or if it needs a year or two to build back up. There's obviously been a lot of publicity around it coming back, and I think ultimately the fact it was axed and has now been resurrected will be good for it. Like, it, I think you'd agree that it was being run into the ground with the budget cuts. Um, you know, in, in 2020, it was a shadow of what it used to be. And now there's just oh, a whole whole sure. new energy around it. The concert lineup looks pretty solid. The ticket pricing's attractive. So I think all the pieces are there for it to be a pretty uh, pretty big weekend.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, we've spoke about it before, but that 2020 event was really weird. Like, it, was, it felt like... It felt so flat and there was so much going on. Holden had just been axed. Um, you know. This COVID thing was sort of bubbling along in the background and we were sort of a little uncertain on what was going to happen. It was a really weird vibe and it didn't feel like the old Adelaide 500. So it would be nice if we can walk through the gates and feel like we're back somewhere even as recently as 2019 when there was still a fair bit of energy around the event. What are you looking forward to the most this weekend?
1: Well, other than purely the event itself, I'm really curious to see how the Holden farewell elements roll out and and how the public react to it, really. Like, at the moment, it feels like it's been done to death, especially for us that are sort of around it all the time. Like, you know, you mentioned 2020 Adelaide. Yeah, they even had a farewell Holden photo shoot there. That was uh, so long ago. But, like, this really is it. This is the moment. There's no more farewells after this one. So I think it is going to actually have some poignancy this time around and especially when you add in, you know, the history of Holden in Adelaide in terms of the manufacturing and and what it means to people. So there's all that and then there's the Walkinshaw part, I think is going to be pretty central to it, saying goodbye to not only Holden but GM. There'll be some some feeling in that, I think, and especially if, if they're up there fighting for the win.
2: Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I mean, I don't know. I wouldn't class this as what I'm looking forward to, but I'm interested to sort of see what it feels like on that cool-down lap of race two when we go, oh, that's it for this generation of car, you know, and we're going to something so different. It's not the kind of subtle, more under-the-skin changes that we had when we went from blueprint cars to, to car of the future cars, where they still sort of looked and sounded pretty much the same. This is a whole new era that's coming, and this is an era that's coming to an end this weekend, so I think that will be fairly interesting. I'm just looking forward to just seeing. I just enjoyed the Gold Coast and seeing cars back on circuits like that so much because we didn't see that much of it through the COVID period apart from Townsville. Um, and I'm just looking forward to seeing cars back on that Adelaide circuit because it's it is an absolute beauty, uh, and I think it's just it's just good to have these events back. And I hope it does have the energy that that we really want it to have, and I think there's a good chance that it will. Um, Do you think we could see any on-track surprises this weekend, Stefan, or is 888 going to do its Adelaide thing and we're going to see SVG add a couple more wins to round off what's been a pretty remarkable season?
1: Well, you never know. A new surface can always do something weird, but it is hard to see. Shane being beaten on pure pace, I think if anyone, I think Chaz maybe is the one but it still feels like an outside chance. But uh, either way, I just hope the races are entertaining no matter who wins them in the end because we can talk about it being so exciting that the event's back and wanting to know what it's going to feel like and whether it's going to be like it used to be. But I think there's a risk that the racing product won't live up to the occasion. It really needs to um, produce something good to, to be befitting of the occasion.
2: Yeah, that is definitely the challenge. Although I'm sort of at the point now where I think that, you know, the more I, I know that I know we are let's face it sick of seeing Shane win week in week out, but at some point you just got to embrace the fact that what he's doing is spectacular and, you know, the more he adds to the record, the more incredible we'll one day look back on this season as being and go wow, that really was something in a very competitive racing series to be that dominant um is something uh is something pretty Special. Um, Speaking of Triple Eight, the team has unveiled a special one-off livery to farewell the Holden brand. Now, by the time you're listening to this podcast, the livery will have gone public. We are going to push the podcast back to coincide With that dropping, um, but as we are recording right in this second, we actually haven't seen it because the embargoed picks haven't landed in our inboxes just yet. What we do know, Stefan, is that Shane will run the number one on his car this weekend, which is something of a rarity when it comes to him. He's always kept the 97 even after winning titles, which from memory, took a bit of convincing to get Roland Dane on board with when he won his first title back in 2016 for the 2017 season. Uh, it will be the first time since 2018 that we've had the number one on the grid, as Scott McLaughlin always kept the number 17 on his car as well. Uh, Stefan, if you were a title-winning SuperCars driver, would you take the one or would you keep
1: your are you a keep your regular number sort of dude? What a good problem to have, right? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. I don't know. I think it's fun that they do get a choice because um, either way, um it it represents something special doesn't it like in the case of 97 that's a number that Shane's dad Robert ran in Speedway back in the day he was in a three-car team that ran 96 97 and 98 Um, and then Shane took it on from a young age and eventually once he got to techno he could use it in supercars from 2013 and he's made it a legend in its own right I mean Only numbers one, two, and seventeen have won more Supercars Championship races than ninety-seven now, and it's cool that he has mixed it up a couple of times in the recent past. Two, like running triple eight at Bathurst last year, and now the one—they're just—they're just just all good stories, even though obviously none of it makes the car go faster.
2: Yeah, it is. It's funny how you know you still think you know Jamie Winkup ran the one for so long, but you still think of 88 when you think of Jamie Winker. So it's not necessarily, it doesn't necessarily have to be this thing that kind of, um, you know, if you run the one that you risk losing the legacy of, of, of this number that you've made your own, well, Stefan, to celebrate the return of the Adelaide 500 this weekend and all those good things that are going on, I grabbed uh, Mark Warren, who's the chief executive of the South Australian Motorsport Board, for a chat, and here's what he had to say. Let, let's actually start right there. I mean, it is race week. Um, it must have been a pretty hectic journey to get to this point, given the timing of the election outcome that led to this event being revived, reviving the SA Motorsport Board, all of that. I mean, a lot has happened in the space of a few months, Right
3: certainly has i mean it's been an exceptional tight period in terms of trying to get from announcements through to getting all the infrastructure back and getting everything together all the entertainment lineup the motorsport lineup to get everything for this week
2: you mentioned the infrastructure we know the previous government sold off some of that stuff that had been used for the track build in the past what challenges did you face trying to revive the circuit itself
3: Uh, Well, I think there's quite a few surprises for us. I mean, one was the racing circuit itself was uh, in very poor um, condition and so it needed to be completely resurfaced. Um, We had... Quite a number of, uh, well, things like uh, concrete barriers and debris fencing, tyre bundles, uh, a lot of things that had to be refabricated. They're not the sorts of things you can just buy off the shelf. Yeah. So we uh, had to move rapidly to to get those in place to fabricating uh, pedestrian overpasses. Um, But I think the bigger picture was uh, with the event having disappeared, a lot of the uh, event industry here um, shrunk. Uh, yep. who really relied on that event and so to get them kickstarted again to get the infrastructure that they needed to then support the event and, and we're hoping that through this event coming back you'll know, we'll see a, a more vibrant events industry here with you know things all the higher gear so marquees and party gear and all the rest of it that goes with supporting events through the year
2: was the pit building itself actually sold off or was that still available to you guys how did that actually work
3: yeah, there's a bit of a story behind that. So, yes, the, the pit building was sold, uh, but the transaction didn't go through uh, for a, a variety of reasons. And so with the announcement, now the event that was is coming back, uh, that transaction was cancelled. And so uh, we we're able to retain the, the pit building, which uh, was great news. Um, otherwise, we'd have been searching far and wide for something that would suit.
2: What's the expectation for, let, let's call this year one of the new era of the Adelaide 500, are you expecting, you know, South Aussies to immediately embrace the return of the event or could we see it take a year or two for it to reclaim its foothold in terms of public interest? What's your sort of sense at the moment?
3: Uh, I've got to say that the public response has been phenomenal, uh, both in terms of the, the public wanting to come to the race and, and even people who don't come to the race realising this is a great thing to come back to support jobs, support the economic benefit um, and the tourism sector, um, but also the corporate market. I mean, a, a, the interest in, renewed interest in the event has, has been fantastic. I think part of that is being the final round for the Replica Supercars Championship means that it, it's kind of bringing back that party town atmosphere yep. like it used to be back in the Grand Prix days. And uh, I think that's what's got everyone you know, super excited about. Uh, being the finale, Uh, it literally is going to be a street fight to the finish for supercar drivers. They all want to win it, and I think people recognise that regardless of championship, uh, in fact, possibly because the championship has been decided, that it's going to be phenomenal racing. People are going to race hard, gloves are off, let's go.
2: Another advantage, I guess, of this new slot is that you sort of – it's split from the Fringe Festival. There was always a lot going on uh, when the Adelaide 500 was on. Does this sort of standalone bit of fresh air help a little bit as well, do you think?
3: Um, I think it does. I think that uh, Mad March, as it was referred to, was just that, and there, there was a lot going on. Having uh, having them separated now actually gives the opportunity to build out perhaps more of a, a motorsport themed festival at this time of year. Yeah, we've just had uh, the Shannons Adelaide Rally um, the last weekend, and we did a bit of a, uh, a promo stage here on on the Sunday to. Um, you know, so people could see a bit of what's to come you know, this weekend. And I think that over time we will probably see more of that. There'll be more clustering of some motorsport activity around this event, um, which I think will be a you know, great time of year to be doing that.
2: I wanted to ask about that. I mean, what's the plan for the Adelaide Motorsport Festival? I mean, we saw, like you mentioned, something similar take place last weekend with the rally. What is the plan of sort of other events to to complement the 500?
3: Uh, well, I think our first challenge was get the – Adelaide 500 delivered so yep. you know almost almost got that box stick uh, to then look to the future and the the Adelaide rally being before it uh, that was always scheduled in that time slot so it made sense to to combine that and, and do um, some more um, I suppose cross promote between those activities. Um, the Adelaide uh, Motorsport Festival that's happening uh, in March next year to be just a week before uh, the Grand Prix in Melbourne and I think that again, is going to be a fantastic event in its own right because it gives the opportunity to get a lot of the you know, international motorsport uh, attention that uh, because of the Grand Prix being there and being the week before, you know, there's a great opportunity to get some some uh, personalities uh, to, to come along to that event. So it does give us a, a double bite at the cherry, um, but I think the view is that around the Vela Adler 500 will build more of a, you know, a clustering of motorsport events.
2: One last one. I mean, I know you just mentioned that the big – box check was getting the 500 up and running, at what point do you start thinking about what else might be on the horizon for the SA Motorsport Board? I mean, Michael Massey, one of your board members, has a lot of contacts in international motorsport. Is there any interest in maybe looking at an international event at some point in the future?
3: Uh, well, uh, probably be no surprise that since the board was formed, uh, we've had a lot of uh, suggestions put forward as to what else that might be looked at. And so we are starting to, to turn our attention to that. I mean, there's been plenty of talk previously about uh, having some international categories come here. And um, uh, yes, yeah, so Michael Massey is uh, a great one to have on the board because he's very much connected to that community. But even down to things like you know having the, the Adelaide Rally and, and getting more engagement around um, the rally side and, and other motorsport rather than just circuit racing as well will be uh good some good opportunities ahead
2: and we very much thank mark for his time during what i'm sure has been a pretty hectic week in adelaide 500 hq well let's move on to the long awaited supercars calendar Stefan, finally we know where and when we will be racing and next year there were no huge surprises based on what We kind of knew by at least this time last week, apart from the sand down thing, which I'll get onto in a moment. So to quickly run through the calendar, we have the Newcastle 500 on March 10 to 12, the Australian Grand Prix on March 30 to April 2, the Perth Super Sprint on April 28 to 30, the Tasmania Super Sprint on May 19 to 21, the Darwin Triple Crown on June 16 to 18, the Townsville 500 on July 7 to 9, the Sydney Super Night on July 28 to 30, the OTR Super Sprint at the Bend on August 18 to 20, the Revive Sandown 500 on September 15 to 17, the Bathurst 1000 on October 5 to 8, and then the Stefan Bartholomew's doubleheader, the Gold Coast 500 on October 27 to 29, and the Adelaide 500 on November 23 to 26. Now, there's a few talking points to pick out there. Firstly, Stefan, the two-day meetings are a thing of the past. No
1: great surprise there, right? Well, there's no two-day events on the calendar, but I think there might still be one or two rounds where supercars are only on track for two of the three days, and it's just the support categories on Friday. Those event formats are still being discussed at commission level, so there's there's team input as well as supercars on all that, and no doubt Fox Sports uh, has a pretty big hand in it too, so... The two-day thing has been polarizing, as we've discussed before. But I think the supercars at an event like Sydney Motorsport Park, where it doesn't draw much crowd, they might opt to not run the supercars and therefore not run the broadcast on the Friday. Well, that's always
2: the big thing: is that it's very expensive to run the broadcast, Um, and that's you know that that is a, a win for the people spending the money to make that happen. If you can cut down that running, but you know the teams. Don't tend to like it because it doesn't actually save them any money. Um, by you know they don't feel like they have, they get there any later or they actually anything's more efficient mm. by not running. So it is an interesting, uh, it's an interesting sort of thing. And yeah, we'll see where that one goes. Uh, we do have one less night event uh, this year uh, next year um, compared to this year with Perth reverting from a super night to a super sprint event. Uh, this is definitely a bit of a change of philosophy after a real night racing push in the not so distant past. There was talk of you know midweek primetime racing in Darwin during the pandemic, for example. The wheels were in motion for the Gold Coast to become a night racing event before COVID intervened. Um, uh, but at the same time, I always felt like Perth was such an odd choice as a night race because of the two-hour time difference to the East Coast. So it actually pushed the race start beyond prime time. You can have an afternoon race, it almost falls into into prime time. What do you reckon,
1: Stefan? Yeah, it was. It always felt like an odd venue for it, and they were swimming against the stream there on the time zones. But ultimately, there's just a cost-benefit scenario here for an event like this. Unlike Sydney Motorsport Park now, which has the permanent lights, these ones at Wanneroo are temporary. So it costs money to, to put those in, and they tried it a couple of times, and... Whether it worked or not, um, sort of arguable, but I think the WA government has really wanted to make sure it's a family event as well, and I'm told that's part of the push back to to it being daytime. So this, just going back to the previous topic, is an event, though, that will go back to three days of supercars on track um, after after it being two this year. So, yeah, I think that's one where it was a long way to go just for just for two days.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, New Zealand is obviously not not having a New Zealand round is obviously a great shame. Uh, Seems the challenges to get hampton downs on the schedule weren't able to be solved for next year. Supercar says it wants NZ to be back on the calendar in 2024, and there were quotes from the federal New Zealand government in the announcement talking about ongoing talks and so on. So that's a pretty good indication of the level at which the lobbying is now taking place, and should they secure some federal funding that would take the Auckland-specific part out of the whole deal and certainly smooth that transition to to moving to to Hampton Downs. Um, But Stefan, no matter how you slice it, it's such a shame to lose the opportunity to build on that incredible return
1: to New Zealand this year, right? It's a fail from all involved, unfortunately. They've failed the NZ fan base by not getting a solution together quickly enough for 2023, but obviously it is a complex scenario there and They were quite blindsided by Pukekohe closing so immediately. So, yeah, now they're in this situation where they're trying to get Hampton Downs up and running. And I think if Hampton Downs was in the Auckland area, it'd be a done deal for 23. But the fact it's over the border in Waikato has been the thing that's slowed it up. I mean, when you look at the freight, The transport on the ground accommodation and also the sanction fee that supercars requires to uh, put on the show it's a multi-million dollar exercise so supercars are now engaging with the nz federal government as you say but also those waikato and auckland areas on this to try to get a solution for Hampton Downs and they might, that's for 2024 obviously, and and they might end up in a situation where Auckland still tips in a bit of money and they end up doing signing sessions and bits and pieces in Auckland to give them some value back. So they're certainly working hard on making sure this is a one-off for 2023.
2: Yeah, it always feels weird when we talk about, you know, supercars being blindsided by Pukekohe closing, when we just heard Mark Warren talking about what they've had to do in such a short amount of time to get that event up and running. All the points you make are are, are, are totally legitimate there. It is obviously a complicated um, kind of political picture when it comes to finding the funding for this thing, but... It just feels like knowing the formula works. Why, why couldn't we get it done? It just—I—I I, I agree with the very first thing you said that it is a real fail that it hasn't been able to be put together for next year. But let's hope it is just a temporary blip and we're back in 2024. Uh, now let's get on to the Sandown 500. Um, firstly, it's just plain good news that it's back. We needed another enduro, and that's exactly the right one to have. So good on Supercars for getting that done. Um, but the whole date thing was just a. Bit of a mess. Uh, now, regular listeners will know that last week we talked about how the Speed Series had that mid-September date all locked up, and I'd clarified I'd had that clarified by Motorsport Australia right before we recorded, or I think I I was getting text messages as we were recording saying, no, that's our date, nothing is going to change. Then on the Tuesday afternoon, uh, the embargoed Supercars calendar announcement went out to media with the Sandown 500 on that same weekend. Cue mass confusion. Uh, Motorsport Australia told me on Tuesday night that the booking was theirs and issued a statement saying as much that was to go out with the Supercars calendar announcement on the Wednesday. Supercars, meanwhile, was telling me that they always had a right to that date back if they wanted to. In other words, if New Zealand fell over uh, and they had exercised that right, and there was absolutely no controversy and no dramas that was their date to have if they wanted it. Um, by Wednesday morning, Motorsport Australia had been told by the Melbourne racing club that yes, that was actually the case. Supercars did have first dibs on the date and other arrangements would need to be made by the speed series. And that came as quite a shock to Motorsport Australia who had made the booking on behalf of them and the Australian racing group. Uh, interestingly it seems that supercars wasn't just looking at new zealand for that mid-september date, but was also working on a support slot at the singapore grand prix which is on that same weekend that ultimately didn't happen uh the talk is that the appearance fee and the cost to get there didn't quite add up um anyway the rollout of the whole thing was just a bit of a mess with this clash and all that sort of stuff
1: what did you make of it all stefan yeah i mean the date thing was obviously a massive pie fight and it's Pretty strange to have those communication issues when there's ARG co-owners on the supercars board. I don't yeah. quite understand what's happened there. But the most important thing is that the Sandow 500 is back and it's back in its rightful place on the calendar leading into Bathurst. So we should uh, we should be celebrating that. The downside probably is that Sandow is not going to be on live free-to-air TV. Seven only with six events live as part of the deal and they've gone with the government-backed events Newcastle, Darwin, Townsville, Bathurst, Gold Coast, and Adelaide. So there's commercial realities around that, but it does feel like a shame not to be building that momentum in the free to air space heading into Bathurst.
2: Absolutely. All right, let's take a look at what's been happening around the world. Uh, Oscar Piastri has officially started work as a McLaren driver. He took part in the post-season test at Abu Dhabi shortly after we recorded our pod last week. He was 14th overall and around half a second faster than teammate Lando Norris. Jack Doohan also took part in the test for Alpine. He was 11th fastest while Ferrari drivers Carlos Sainz, Charles Leclerc and Robert Schwartzman led the way. Uh, Daniel Ricciardo's return to Red Bull Racing, meanwhile, is now official. He has taken on a third driver role with a team that will include testing, simulator and promotional work. Um, Stefan, you know, we, we kind of have this sense that a Haas race seat was at the very least a possibility for Dan for next season, but I guess being paid millions of euros to do skids in F1 cars <laughs> at demo runs wouldn't be a terrible life to live. Uh, is this a good move from Dan or should he have gone for the race seat, do you reckon?
1: Oh, well, from a spectator point of view, I'd much rather see him racing they're not but when you listen to how he's explained it it's pretty hard to argue with it like the last couple of years have obviously been very draining for him and it's hard enough now with such a big calendar for anyone in the sport to but to be grinding away and not getting results it's, it's obviously taken its toll
2: yeah, I think that was quite telling when there was quotes from him. Um, you know, I think it was in Abu Dhabi saying that he actually wanted some time out of competition, that he had reached that point that um, he needed that little break. And I guess that explains why you would go down this path and still keep his eye in and be be part of a competitive team. And if something ever happened and he ended up back in a race seat in at Red Bull, even if it's just for a Grand Prix at some point, you're in a competitive car and you're pretty well placed um, to do something spectacular and maybe really get yourself back on the radar. So, yeah, interesting. Steven, it's my favourite time of the week when we play a bit of I Spy with My105.com um, I feel like our taste has become a little bit extravagant recently in this, uh, although admittedly I did go for a bodywork-less hill climb <laughs> special last week. But anyway, uh, this week I'm going to just – pair it back even more. I'm going with a 1992 Nissan Pulsar Triple S that's been set up for autocross racing. I've got some mates to do a bit of that stuff and it does look like an absolute hoot. So uh, maybe I'll get this car and join in. The really good news is that it's uh, it's right here in Perth. It's in O'Connor. I could probably walk to go and look at it from where I'm sitting right now. So that would be pretty handy. I still don't know where I'm going to find the 7,500 bucks that I need to buy it, but at least that that number's a little more achievable than some of the other stuff that's uh, found its way onto our wish lists in the past. Stefan, what caught your eye on my105.com
1: this week? Well, I've gone really budget this week, Andrew, because I've actually got, nothing. I, uh, got I, nothing. I did have something. I'd spotted this Porsche Cayman GT4 for sale in Adelaide, but it's been sold already. Oh, wow. I only looked at it the other day. These My 105 things go pretty fast. But, uh, yeah, I think GT4 could be a category on the move uh, here in the next 12 months with that news about those cars being allowed into production car races. So um, even though that car's been sold, I'll be interested to see how that category develops.
2: You're heading to Adelaide this afternoon. Couldn't they have just waited a day to let you have a look at it? Got to be quick. Disappointing. Disappointing. All right. Castrol mailbag time. Uh, Michael Chambers asked: with the return of the Sandown 500 next year, will any Bathurst wildcards be eligible to also compete at Sandown? Um, was the one wildcard and one enduro only rule for 2023 putting place before this was finalised? It would be a shame if drivers like Craig Lowndes and Richie Stanaway, for example, couldn't take part in the 500 and get those extra laps. Um, surely, Stefan, I mean, surely – the the rule will be altered to say you can do the Enduros plus one sprint round, right? I mean, that that's what makes common sense.
1: Yeah, I believe that's what's most likely to happen, even if it hasn't been rubber-stamped yet. There's certainly a couple we're hearing that uh, are keen to do that. Um, so, yeah, looking forward to seeing who does run wildcards next year. Obviously, a lot of the chat has been around um, Peter Addison and what he might do, and he's talking about Newcastle, Bathurst and Gold Coast, isn't he? So that's another another yep. mix again. But, um, yeah, we've just got to wait and see.
2: Yeah, that will require a little bit of um, leniency from supercars as well because technically that would be two uh, sprint rounds. But obviously if they do continue to sponsor the uh, Gold Coast event and it was listed on the calendar as the Boost Mobile Gold Coast 500, I think a big part of that is wanting to have a car on the grid. So that's where the Gold Coast thing kind of comes into it. All righty, let's hand out some Castrol Stars of the Week. Stefan, your star this week?
1: Well, please don't take this as political commentary. It's not what we're here for, but I'm going to give the Star of the Week this week to South Australian Premier Peter Malinowskis. It is easy to forget that as recently as March, this Adelaide 500 didn't exist. It's just been such a remarkable resurrection. And usually I find politicians turning up at sporting events for a bit of cheesy PR to be quite sickening, but I'm not going to begrudge Big Pete if he's after some media hang time this week. Fair play to him. Daddy Mal gets the star. That's, uh, that is...
2: That's great news. Uh, I'm going to cut my Castrol star in half this week and give half each to Sebastian Loeb and Christina Gutierrez. Uh, they combined to seal the Extreme E crown for Lewis Hamilton's X44 team in Uruguay over the weekend, so good on them for that. Uh, Molly Taylor was back in extreme action as well, I think for just the second time this season. She, uh, she was driving with uh, Kevin Hansen at uh, Veloce and they finished fifth, so that was uh, pretty decent as well. Well, that's it for this week. Remember to like, subscribe and review our work wherever you listen to your podcast. And we'll be back next week with more Castrol Motorsport
0: News. Hey, it's Chaz Mostad here. And yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication and so much more for all sorts of makes, models and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 W Racing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au.